last week many of you were here and we talked some about the Eightfold Path which is the last piece of the Buddha's initial teaching on the Four Noble Truths and um, as the week has gone on and as I've done some did some prep for the committed students group on Tuesday evening and um, it sort of led me to a consideration of all of the steps so I wanted to come back to that particular teaching tonight and one of the things that came to me um, in doing some of the research and the reading that I was doing was a slightly different take on just the name of the teaching, the Four Noble Truths. It's a teaching that pervades all of Buddhism. I've heard the Dalai Lama say that that's the mark of what it is to be a Buddhist, is that you understand, have some understanding of the Four Noble Truths. And that's all, that, that's the only thing he, he had on his list. Um, and, but I was particularly interested in um, a way of translating both of those words. The word noble comes from the Pali or the Sanskrit word, which means, uh, Arya, which means noble, but it also means that which leads to awakening. And the word truth is um, a word that actually uh, might be better translated in English as actualities. So these are the actualities. These are things that, these are actually, they're real. And they will lead you to awakening. So these aren't anything that the Buddha invented. That's, that's one of the things I think is really important. This isn't something that he made up or came to him in some great moment of insight or whatever. But he's really, in all of his teachings, pointing at this incredibly important place of that which is. That which is. And so it's there. Um, any of the teachings are really there for us to discover for ourselves which was one of the other things that he really stressed, was these are things that you can find out for yourself. And in fact, it's better if you find it out for yourself. And, you know, teachers and retreats and classes and books and tapes and all of the gazillions of things that we have are helpful. And since most of us in this room aren't Buddhas, we need them to help us point, you know, point us along the way. If you're a Buddha, you find it out all by yourself is the understanding. You don't need this. So these these actualities that lead to awakening. And the one that's really caught my attention this week, actually, or the two, are the first and the second. So last week we dealt with the end of dukkha or suffering and the Eightfold Path. And so I want to talk some tonight and maybe have you talk some too about the first two. So this word dukkha is pretty interesting and it very easily and often gets translated as suffering. And it's not even clear to me that that's the best translation. The translation or the understanding that I like the most comes from the derivation of the word which 
um, at one point had to do with a wheel being out of round. So that place where, you know, as you, as the wheel would go around, it would come to the flat place, and then the cart or would go kind of kathunk, and then it would go around and it would go kathunk again. Or I think of it sometimes the way a supermarket cart sometimes gets kind of caught, you know how the wheels get kind of funny, and then the cart only wants to go in one direction no matter how hard you try to push it in the other direction. So the wheel is kind of off. And so the Buddha is saying, you know, that's, that's, there's this thing in life that is that makes it feel like it's off, it's unsatisfactory. And where I got quite interested this week is really wanting to tease apart a little bit the, the understanding that dukkha, dukkha actually comes, it's not that the, the things that, you know, the pain or the impermanence or whatever in themselves are a problem. They are what they are. You know what the problem is, right? The problem is in here, in our own minds. And so the Buddha says there's several different kinds of dukkha. So I want to look at this process a little bit. And he says the first, I always love it that it's called this, it's called dukkha dukkha. And so the dukkha dukkha is the difficulty that comes around having a body that gets sick, that gets old, that gets injured, living in the human realm where there's gain and loss and relationships end and you lose your jobs or you're hungry or whatever. And so some of the other definitions of dukkha are that one way to describe it is stress. So stress, or another way that I came across is that things are problematic or uh, they're unsatisfactory. So, you know, what the Buddha is saying by calling these things dukkha dukkha is there's a, they, they just are. You know, there is pain, there's real pain in some of these things. You know, if you're really hungry, it hurts. If your body is sick or injured, it hurts. There's literal physical pain. If your heart is broken, it hurts. And so there's all of that pain that just is. But maybe some of you know, it's a great saying in AA, and it's, it's, it's very Buddhist, which says, you know, pain is required and suffering is optional. And so that place where it's really pointing toward exactly the teaching of the Buddha, that, that these things happen, and then there's this response to it that says, no, I want it different from that. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to be hungry. And, and not only do I not want, but I have to have it be different. And it's that, it's that having. So the, some, sometimes the word craving is used as a description for what it is that causes suffering. And so it's that place where you just grab onto. Because, of course, if you're ill, of course you want to be well. We all do. If you're injured, you want your bones to heal or whatever. If your heart is broken, you know, you're happy when that eases and maybe a new relationship comes along. And, and that's natural and perfectly okay. But we all also know that place where 
you know, how come I'm still sick? The cold has gone on for two weeks now. Shouldn't it be over? Or, you know, I've been pining for him or for her for a year, and I think I really ought to be getting on to a new relationship, but I just can't let go. Sometimes we say that. I just can't let go. And it's that not letting go, that having to have, that the Buddha is pointing to and he says this is the place this is this is where the real suffering is <coughs> because it's so difficult the, the pain is bad enough but then there's this other thing that happens this response to it this relationship to it that makes it very 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 difficult and so then he there's another realm of dukkha which has to do with with impermanence and how everything is always shifting sometimes sometimes it leaves too quickly and sometimes it doesn't leave fast enough and and there's the, the place of wanting things to be other than the way that they are and and that's also it's a relational thing things are shifting and changing there's no anything that you're going to do that will make that stop no, it's it's inherent. Impermanence is inherent in being in this particular realm that we seem to be inhabiting. But the holding on, trying to make something stay the same, never works. Trying to make it go away when you want it to go away, that doesn't work either. You know, and that's where the suffering comes. That's where the dukkha is. It's in the relationship to this impermanence that that. Um, is so inherent in our existence. And then the the third level of dukkha is very, very subtle, and it has to do with, um, really, with the process of being, of the coming together of of, um, form and feeling and perception and mental formations and consciousness, all of the, what are called the aggregates, this constant shifting and changing which is completely out of our control and the that place that that mm, is kind of bittersweet where as almost as soon as something comes into existence you know that it's it's going to be different almost in the very next second and it's and it's it's quite subtle so the this is so important this, this place of how is it that we relate to our experience, that this is the foundation of the Buddha's teachings. And it says in the Dhammapada, the mind is the forerunner of all things. And, and the Buddha, in his teachings on suffering, is pointing to that. He's saying, notice what happens around the stuff of life. Can we let it be what it is? Did you succeed in that in the 45 minutes that we sat here? Was it okay exactly the way it was? Or was the mind kind of moving around a little and thinking about maybe, you know, dinner later or, or what happened today and kind of tweaking and adjusting and that, that way that we do where we're always wanting things to be just somewhat other than the way that they are. And that's the suffering. That's the that's what's creating the dukkha is that constant 
wanting. And, and the more the wanting gets sticky, the more it has to have, the more it has an addictive quality to it, then the more the suffering is. Isn't that interesting? And so sometimes, and, and many of you know this, if we go back to Dukkha Dukkha, because <coughs> it's kind of fun to hang out there and think about it, we all know the places where sometimes we've been injured or sick or something difficult has happened. And, you know, we've, we've been able to hold it in a way that it was all right. And yes, it was painful, but we kind of, we could see, sometimes we see that we're learning something from it. Sometimes it's just that we're in some um, place in ourselves a little more spacious and relaxed than we normally are. And then, of course, there are the other times where it really isn't all right, and then the suffering level just goes up exponentially. You know, it's so much more that place of dukkha. And then, of course, you can get it, you can get it really complicated. You can then, of course, judge yourself for wanting and craving and make it even more painful and then it gets very messy and, um, and we suffer even more because that we, we sort of see that we're caught in, in craving and then we judge ourselves. We don't want to be that way, right? And, and you can imagine it just could keep going for forever. So I thought it would be interesting tonight to take a little time some of you who were here on Tuesday night are thinking, oh goodness, we did most of this on Tuesday night. But that's all right. It's always good to revisit it again. And I'd like you to just pair up. So if you do that, please don't leave. Sometimes people leave when I suggest that they pair up. But just find someone near you, preferably not your best beloved if you're sitting right next to them, um, and just hook up with them. And if, if, if we end up with a couple of groups of three, it would be all right. But... So just just turn and and once you get settled, just face each other, and then I'll I'll tell you what you're going to do. So what I'd like you to do is take mm, I'll probably give you about four minutes apiece to just talk in a simple way about what do you know about this. Where do you get caught in craving and wanting things to be different? And be, be, stay close to today. That might be even a good question. Where did you get caught today? And if you, can, if you can do that, you can be more general than that if you want. But at least start with today. And I'll ring the, the bell at the end of four minutes and then the other person. So just decide who's going to go first. Whoever's listening, your job is just to listen in a kind of a relaxed and friendly way. You don't need to respond particularly. And then we'll trade places, okay? All right, so just go ahead. If you're a group of three, the group of three, go for about three minutes apiece. Thank <laughs> you.